Welcome to Polycast, a civilization podcast focused on game strategy. Canis Albinas, Makalua, the main team, Mega Bears fan. Hello and welcome to Polycast episode 367. I'm the main team and I'm joined by Canis Albinus. Away on business, but I'm still here. Makalua. Uh, I'm exactly where I usually am. And Mega Bears fan. Because of work from home, I have been waking up for Polycast earlier than I wake up for work. It's almost like this is my real job now. Oh my. Best job ever. Show up, talk about things. Yep. Let's all talk about video games. Today's first topic is a poll, which our erstwhile friend Dan, well, not erstwhile friend, but erstwhile co-host Dan, would definitely love. It's, should we finish up with Civ 6 and move on to Civ 7, or should we keep working on Civ 6 indefinitely? And uh, most of the thread, and I believe the results as well, are saying, please give us the DLL, and then we can talk about this. <laughs> it's fair if you want Civ 6 to last a bit a little bit longer to have more time to dev, to dev for Civ 7 the best way is let them pe- let the modders have the DLL already you can also yeah. do more content pass while you're doing that but really the DLL that's that's what a lot of the people want at this point because that's split nearly it's 50 when I put up the page it was 50 to 59 votes you know, well so that, what it is is it's not usually exclusive <clears throat> Yeah. yeah. No. Yeah, but I mean, but and everything else is tiny comparatively. Is the thing. Yeah. I mean, there's other things in there like rush Civ seven or do the one third old, one third new. Even one one section of vote is let John Schaefer start working on Civ seven. <laughs> that one and might be mutually exclusive. <laughs> thankfully, that has the low votes. Nothing against John Schaefer, but what didn't do a very good job with five. It only has one fewer vote than releasing Civ 7 as soon as possible, however, which shows the general sentiment of this. I, I don't know if it's necessarily fair to say that John Schaefer did a bad job. My suspicion is that Civ 5 was like rushed to market before it was ready, and his vision for it was probably a lot uh, more robust of a game than it ended up actually being at release. But that's just my opinion. I do feel like Probably. this uh, this poll has some kind of leading questions, though. I, I I wonder. I don't think the poll creator wants a Civ Seven, which is why they put you know rush Civ Seven as soon as possible, yeah. as opposed to you know take your time and make it good. Like for all we know, they're already working on it. Probably. There's a ninety percent chance they are. I am. But I would argue that the in his in his defense. Both Civ 5 and Civ 6 on release had that rushed feel to them. Civ uh, 6, so however, I think felt much more complete and robust and definitely yes. a lot more polished. There was a lot more production quality going into Civ 6 at release than there was in Civ uh, 5. 
Sim 6 was ahead of 5 at release, but they were both released with a lot of problems. And, like, a lot of problems in basic ways, not just, like, oh, I don't agree with this design philosophy. I mean, like, the game doesn't really work the way it should be working at the time of release. I still I think Civ remember. 6 was nowhere near as bad as Civ 5. Like, the big problem for yeah, me with Civ fair. 5 was Civ 5 was just so slow. It took so long to do anything because there was so little production in, in the vanilla release. It, it was just real bad. Yeah. Well, we also had that whole year, first year of Civ, Civ 5, where the design philosophy kept changing literally every two months. Yeah, six months in, it was like a totally different game. Two months in, it was a completely different game. Yes. And then four months in, it was in a completely another different <laughs> And by six months, we're in like the third or fourth different game. And then the it, first it, expansion it... was basically just a <clears throat> list of wishlist features from the uh, <laughs> forums. Yeah, it, it, that's it, the it, best kind. Of... Oh, go ahead, Matt. Oh, yeah. Well, no, that is the best kind to actually listen to the people who are playing the game of what they'd like to see in the game. But it did feel like, especially the first year or so, if they were trying to put things in that they couldn't do before they were rushed to publish. Yeah, I'm in no rush for Civ 7. I still have a lot of Civ 6 civilizations that I can write strategy guides for. So, like, Firaxis, <laughs> if you feel free to give it a few years. Uh, I would like to say, though, that my personal preference for options is not on this poll, which is I would actually like to see what they them do what they did between Civ 5 and Civ 6, which is to release some kind of, like, side game. Like, they did Civ uh, 6, and then they had the expansions, and then they did Beyond Earth. Uh, and then went on to Civ 6. I would like to see them, before they go on to Civ 7, do like another side game. Uh, whether that's a remake of Colonization, or Sid Meier's Pirates, or maybe uh, my personal hope is that uh, they do maybe an actual proper Space 4X game. So, you know, something along the lines of a Firaxis take on Stellaris or Master of Orion. I think that would be a really cool thing to see in between Civ 6 and Civ 7. I'm hesitant to endorse such an idea because, you know, I don't think Forex is quite up to doing that just yet. I think the reason... I don't, well, first of all, they're not going to do colonization again because the political climate is not conducive to that kind of... <laughs> and and that would not, not be a popular... That would, well, it might be. It could be uh, very amusing, <laughs> depending. It's, it's too hot a subject for anybody to treat with that kind of let's say uh, gamify what, it basically word? let's not gamify real life issues that you know and uh, problematic parts of the country's history kind of yeah problematic parts of the world's history true and then at the same time we, we see Amplitude is making humankind now and I've seen some of the pre-game footage of that and it's interesting but it doesn't really fit the same model as we're used to in 4x so yeah and some of the clickbait titles about it have been the civ killer and it's like i don't think so i think it's something else really gonna be something else good that's similar to it but you can also play you know i don't i think there's room for both everything Uh, i've seen considering who made that title it was potato mcwhiskey that he wasn't making a serious case that yeah is dead yeah everything that i've I've seen seen it elsewhere too Everything I've seen about humankind makes it uh, look like it's an attempt to get like a uh, halfway in between Civ and Crusader Kings kind of uh, game. It's like yeah. Endless Legend, almost identical, yeah. except it's got some extra stuff tacked onto it. Which I don't know. It, it does look like it might be interesting. I don't particularly like the 
the UI style because I'm an analyst, but uh, aside from that, it's fine. I'm interested to see how well how well it makes Civ do better because that's what's eventually going to happen. They're going to pull an Epic and try to beat beat Civ at their own game and make and as a result make uh, Civ much better. Yeah, if it makes both games better in the long run, then that uh, is only good for consumers. For sure. Unfortunately, it could go the opposite way, which is both games then double down on uh, microtransactions and in-game purchases and junk like that just to keep the games uh, profitable when there's competition. We might see that regardless. Hopefully that does not happen. I really don't think that'll happen with Civ, simply because think they're stupid enough to try it yeah my experience so far has been that the the games that push really hard on the uh uh microtransactions and uh economies are the games that have monopolies in their respective markets or are extremely well known yeah i mean it's it's your call of duties your assassin's creed your you know ea sports titles that all have exclusive licenses with their respective sports so no other company can make a competitor it's all those games that don't really have viable competitors there's been a lot of call of duty uh imitators but no one's you know really gotten there i don't know uh well i think there are plenty of games that are as good as call of duty but they just aren't as popular well right, that's what i mean gameplay is sufficiently different however that felt that they attract different audiences like you can have two shooters that play vastly differently from each other uh to the point where yeah they're both technically first person shooters yeah I, i'm more <laughs> of a battlefield person overlap yeah I'm, I'm more of a battlefield person myself but i just don't really care much for shooters so i'm not playing either yeah like compare the, the team-based gameplay of like good halo play Against Call of Duty, in how like the maps are designed, all that stuff, you're you're playing a completely different game at that point. Even though they're the both shooters, now that's not to say they don't compete with each other at least somewhat, because that wouldn't that would not be a true statement. People do pick between them when choosing something to play, but they are very different games. So if you really like the Call of Duty style, you're not going to get that itch scratched by Halo and vice versa. It's just not happening. So I think the upshot is. We want more Civ 6 content. Yes. I mean, <clears throat> more Civ pers- 6. Take your time with 7. I personally am not ready for a Civ 7 because uh, I kind of want to see Civ 7 be transformative in more of a mechanical way as opposed to just being the next iteration. So yeah, I kind of want them to wait on Civ 7 until we have uh, affordable and robust VR. Yeah, that's uh, that's my big thing as well. Uh, in addition to what I already mentioned, uh, which is to maybe see Firaxis try a different game in the meantime, uh, I would also like to see Civ Seven be less iterative and more, uh, yeah, as you said, evolutionary. Like, I would really like to see a game that's actually capable of having like a better scale. Where we complain so often about the the scaling of the map in in Civ Five and Civ Six, making everything feel so crowded. I, I would like to see a game where you know, however they end up doing it, whether it's bigger maps or, you know, some kind of, uh, you know, other system of handling battles where uh, you're not doing your tactical battles at the same scale that you're building cities. All right, time to get rid of hexes, lol. If you've ever seen um, Surviving Mars, that's an idea for a grid system on hexes that works well. 
Yeah, that's right now is is my I think that the idea that I would most like to see would be something where your your armies all stack into one campaign level uh, hex, and then when you get into a battle, like the game kind of you know quote zooms in unquote on that one hex, and then breaks it up into smaller hexes, and then you have your battles there. I really don't like that idea. And you can script your armies like in Dominions. <laughs> what could possibly go wrong? That's what's going to happen in. Uh... Humankind. We'll see how it works. I don't like the idea. Yeah, I don't think we'll get to the level of complexity and detail that Dominions does. I don't think anybody will, but it would be very interesting. Well, maybe I'll have to play a play it in Humankind and see if I end up liking it. I'm just afraid it's going to end up like Total War, where it's a completely different game, and you'll end up breaking the covert action. I've always liked Total War. Total War is good, but. Total War also has the problem that if you only like half of the gameplay, what are you going to do? You can yeah. play the same skirmish maps over and over again, but eventually you're going to get bored. Yeah, the campaign was always the, the weaker part of the game. And the campaign was always the part I liked to play. So, But anyway, I think we can move on to the topic now that we've sufficiently covered it. All right, well then, our next topic is another Civ Fanatics uh, thread. This one posted by Revenchist, uh, and the title is Noticeable AI Improvements. And this one also has a poll. Dan will be very happy with this episode. Uh, and this poll asks, did you notice any AI improvements in your most recent game? It looks like so far, almost 60% of voters have said yes uh, 21% have said no, and another 19 and a half have said not sure. I think when we were having the multiplayer game last week, we did, or I don't know if this is we were talking during this, but the AI or somebody was actually using their catapults right. Somebody's getting that used <laughs> against them. And we've heard people talking about, I think this is maybe it was in somebody's single player game, that they're actually finally using bombers and things like that. So they're actually starting to use the air units. So there's little subtle things, but that will help them long term. I'm just you know, now I'm just now getting into the uh, the modern era in the Ethiopia game I'm playing. So I'll see if uh, any AI air units start showing up. <clears throat> the yeah, problem I, I was having when I was playing was the AI is really good at defending against religious victory. Yeah, either except that, either either that or I'm just really bad at getting religious victory. Yeah, except I was playing as Ethiopia, so I was still able to overwhelm them no matter how hard they tried. Yeah, but the AI's always been big on, once it gets a religion, just absolutely swarming the map with units, so... Yeah, that was why they had to actually update the game to add religious units to their own lair, because I remember, you know, in the early days of Civ Six when I I could not move my own units within my own territory because every tile of my territory was a Spanish missionary. Yeah, that was awful. Just declare on everyone. The one big AI uh, quirk that I noticed in in the last game that I'm playing, and I don't know if this is just coincidence or uh, or something like that, um, but uh, I noticed that uh, I was trying to settle two uh, like late mid to late game cities in order to get some like you know niter and coal and oil resources, and uh, like two or three turns before I would have gotten there. I noticed an AI settler suddenly show up there and settle the spot. 
And I don't know if they've put in code that actually makes the AI look for the player, look for where the player is sending your settlers. Uh, because I, I remember Unlikely. there, I remember there being some talk in Civ Three that the uh, uh, AI was programmed to do that, but I don't know if that was actually true or not. Uh, so it might just be staggering coincidence that the AI sent two settlers exactly to the places that I wanted to uh, to send them. It might just be that well, they were looking for those same resources as well. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Yeah, resources. Especially when it's way up in the ice and tundra. They love to go there for resources. And for not resources. Yeah. <laughs> for lols. Yes, I need my coupe. <laughs> I noticed the AI was doing better. Uh, they seem to be settling in better ways, too. They don't seem to be throwing cities all the way across the map anymore. They're still packing them in real tight, though. That's good, though. That's how you're supposed to do it. Well, yeah. sometimes. Generally. If it's good land, it's best to do it that way, I think. It's hard to grow your cities to the point where that's prohibitive. So more cities is the better play. You get your good tiles faster. Easier to defend, too. I've just come to the conclusion that I'm not a very good player. Which I'm sure all the listeners already know. Let's see, I'm seeing in the uh, forum topic here, a lot of people, or at least a few people, are saying that the AI is doing science better. Yeah, I saw I saw one of the AIs had like a hundred science per turn in like turn hundred, which is really high for an AI. In which difficulty? It was on Prince. Oh, okay. Yeah, that is pretty good for Yeah, people in the thread are saying that they're playing on King and noticing the AI being more competitive, which uh, is definitely a good thing. I really wish I could go back and play King and uh have the AI be competitive, because as I've said many, many, many times before, I just hate the AI starting with all that free crap. The big question, though, is are they better at combat? I haven't fought a war yet, so I don't know. Well, if they're actually using air units, then at baseline, at least a little bit in the late game. Well, the big problem is that they have to be good up to that, because one of the issues that I've noticed uh, for the last few months is if you do early war rushes against the AI, and I'm, I'm playing on Emperor, so pretty you know high difficulty setting, uh, once you eliminate their units in the beginning of the game, they don't seem to ever bother to build more of them. <laughs> well, in the multiplayer game, I have had them build more units. It takes them a few turns, and maybe you get a couple of cities in the meantime, but back towards their capital and stuff, they will build it, and sometimes they come at you again. I, we, 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 blah, blah, blah. When we're playing in that game, it usually is Emperor. <clears throat> yeah, one of my common strategies, like the last few months that I've been playing the game, is uh, will be that I'll go to war with like the first you know two or three civs that I meet, and I'll just wipe out their armies. I don't take any cities so that I don't get any grievances. And then I'll do that in, like, the classical era, you know, ancient classical rushes. And then I'll come back and actually take all of their cities, like, in the Renaissance or Industrial era. Because they haven't built any units in the meantime. That is bizarre. Yeah. It might also be that they can't build new because they don't. 
Yeah, I'll pillage them, you know, back into the Stone Age, uh, that first war, too. But they, they fix everything, and then they still just don't have any units. So they're, you know, a pushover, assuming you can get, you know, assuming I have enough units to get through their walls at that point. I guess they figure if they have walls, they don't need units, as we've talked about in previous episodes. Multiple previous episodes. It's only partially true. Uh, I have seen the AI uh, in the game I'm playing building more naval units as well. I was actually surprised to see an enemy battleship show up and actually threaten my uh, sieges on their uh, cities. Yeah, if they can get their naval game going, that would make them more of a threat. Because when you're on another continent from the rest of the AI, and they're like, oh, I'm going to come get you, and you're like, yeah, you and what navy? Yeah, lucky for me, Phoenicia uh, also had a large navy and was on my side of the war, and their ships just showed up and wiped out all of the uh, my enemy's ships. So it still ended up being a non-threat, but only because the other AI was competent. Well, the fact that an AI was competent is still within the, the scope of this thread, so... Right, which is why I brought it up. It's still progress. I would say it's improved to at least some degree. But I'm not sure relative to exactly when. But certainly, like, if you think back to, like, a year or two ago versus now, it's, it does. I've seen some improvements. There is some discussion that it might be because of secret societies. Who is in Solver actually pointing out that there's the religion trap normally the AI will fall into, but then because of things like Void Singers, they get a bunch of other yields with the religion, so them spamming holy sites and things actually works out for the AI. Yeah, I'm assuming this thread though is talking about in general and not just the Secret Society's game mode, so maybe they'd also tweak yeah. some of the underlying logic for things uh, as part of the uh, uh, new game modes that have come out in the last two patches. When you say secret societies, you remind me of CK2. Wait, is that the famous Solver? The one who used to come on Polycast for a while? Uh, it looks like the same avatar to me. <laughs> oh yes, actually look down in his credits. Uh, we play Civ co-administrator. Yes. <laughs> yep, that's him. Where? It's in his uh, signature thing below his post. Uh. I forget to look at people's signature things sometimes. I will say that I do feel like I'm keeping more of the AI oh, yeah. cities that I capture. So maybe they are actually getting better at city placement as well. Yeah, I feel I feel less inclined to burn things because they put it in the wrong place. <laughs> it's actually usually the city-states that I'm more inclined to raise after I capture them because they just settle wherever they start. And it's not always, you know, it, it's always one of those things where it's like one or two tiles away from where I want it to be. And also, you know, at some point, the AI is going to come back around and want to bully the city-state again and try and take it over again. So, you know, you might as well just stay part of my empire. Unless you have something really special I need. That's one way to deal with a city-state that has a lot of us. Well, since we were talking about it earlier, <clears throat> season pass models. Uh, who is this? Sammy Khalifa. I don't know, and the Sip next one was out hiking and thinking about some Civ and things and other things, which... I understand that sometimes you got a game on your mind when you think you'd have something else when you're trying to clear your head by walking or something, but uh, I'm still not sure that they're a fan of the model. But they say it's like, it, it adds a ton to what we're doing, but, you know, they're, let's see. 
they were referring to this the if if new if frontier pass had come out as a whole set all together at once and you would have had months and months of speculation pages on things you know and then there would be a lot of stuff to talk about and they're i think they're in favor of it being the big thing and having the long time of talking about it and then a long time talking afterwards and getting the little drip 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 i i don't know i think that encourages more discussion because you're always something new to talk about but I was going to say it's better for us that it comes out every other or every other show because we always have some news to talk about. Now, does it make the game better? Ultimately, that's hard to say because you could do the same thing, but release it all as like an expansion. Well, if it's similar to one, if it's coming with improvements to things like AI and the UI, right, and they actually have more time to work on it because they're not, you know, just basically getting the expansion content out and then shoving it out the door and are actually spending this whole year working on core game improvements as well as the new content, then, yeah, it might end up being better for the game in the long run. Yeah, yeah, that's how it goes, then, surely. And if the people in that last thread are actually right that the AI is better, then you know we might have already reaped some of the rewards of that. I think it and comes it, down to go ahead. I was going to say, and they're looking, they're spending more time instead of having to do this stuff now and do a few bug corrections and then move on to the next project. It's like there's a rolling set of projects, so they're always looking into the code. And this could also be where the AI improvements come, because when they're doing stuff in-house for, like, the new societies, they may have noticed things. It's like, oh, that's how we could fix it. It's, it's in a sense, giving them more gameplay to look at it. And it, the fact that they're doing these little modular game modes as opposed to, like, a singular unified uh, expansion pack, you know, with like thematic, you know, where all the content is tied around one theme means that they, they could also hypothetically, I'm not saying that this is what they're doing, just that it's something that could possibly be happening is uh, they could be tailoring the new game modes specifically to address issues in the core game. So they're like, all right, well we have a bunch of problems with uh, siege weapons, Right, So maybe we make a game mode that focuses around siege weapons and that gives us an excuse and an opportunity to update the AI for siege weapons in the core game as well as in the new game mode. And, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Do the same thing with air units. You know, do the same thing with uh, loyalty mechanics. Do the same thing with tourism mechanics. As long as they have the people for it. Yeah. Because sometimes, like, new content uh, developers are the same people who fix some of these issues on the code side. True, but also at you know the other side of that same coin is sometimes a fresh pair of eyes is also you know helpful. If you're a good programmer, definitely true. If you're not, then you're just going to pull their hair out. Right, and write spaghetti code. <laughs> when I wrote this code, only God and I knew how it worked. Now only God knew. Right. The thing where something's commented out in the code is like. Look, just leave this here and don't touch it because we touch it and everything breaks and we don't know why. And the guy who wrote it is long gone. And he, even if we call him and he doesn't know either, and just just don't touch it. Oh, I've, I've, right, had, nice. I've had plenty of times in, in my professional career where I've had to put a comment you know, next to a line of code saying, I don't know why this makes everything work, but some reason, for some reason it did. It, it happens. All right, we're going to be the next ones to fix the Vicky 2 code. Let's go. Oh, no. Oh, God. No. <laughs> I refuse. 
Although the way to fix that might just be to put resources in other parts of the so it doesn't utilize it. But I think the uh, the best way would be the most impressive thing. I don't know about the best thing, but the most impressive thing would be to actually figure out how the original person who made it got it to work the way it does. <laughs> Untangling that spaghetti. One uh, <clears throat> one post in this thread uh, says that the incremental updates, uh, although advantageous in some aspects, uh, mean nightmares for mod devs. That was posted. It's the eleventh post uh, by uh, Bibber Bibor, uh, and that is definitely true. Uh, I d- did uh, <clears throat> modding work for Civ Five a little bit, and I remember I was working on like a large you know, giant mod that was reworking the entire tech tree, and then Gods and Kings came out. And uh, Gods and Kings reshuffled some techs around, and I was like, dang it! I yeah, never it doesn't had- matter if you're just doing a simple UI thing or something more complex, they start moving stuff around within where it is in the game because it they're like reorganizing the code or something, and suddenly your mods don't work. Yeah, and I also would not be surprised if the year of incremental updates was a big part of the reason why they decided not to release the DLL, because they wouldn't want people just updating the DLL to do the things that they're going to add to the game. That's probably part of it. I still think it's unfortunate that they, you know, won't commit to releasing the DLL after March, you know, 2021, when New Pass, when New Frontiers is over. But for all we know, they're going to have new New Frontiers after that, so. New Frontiers 2 Electric Boogaloo? Well, Second Frontiers, whatever. Even newer Frontiers. And then Final Frontiers. There you go. And then we, then they'll give us the DLL about six months before Civ 7 comes out. Yeah, I, I do wish that they would... Uh, uh, so far, neither of the uh, game modes has been particularly appealing to me. I'm still waiting to see one of these actual historic-inspired game modes that they've told us they're going to offer. Yeah, I'm, ex- I'm interested to see them as well. I'm a little bit uh, I don't know. I just don't like to see Cthulhu glorified. No. Yeah, it's it's not my cup of tea with civilization. Like I, I, I'm all for fantasy elements in fantasy games, but you know when I'm playing my historic strategy games, I I don't need vampires and zombies and Cthulhu's running around. But that that's just me. I mean, lots of people are liking it, and you know, good for them. And I'm sure the devs, as we've said last episode, are having a blast creating the stuff. So. Uh, you know, maybe one of the other upsides is they do come into Civ 7, you know, feeling like refreshed and creative again and not like burnt out of, oh, making another civilization with a unique unit and blah, 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 you know? Yeah, and also having having to stick to essentially a historic palette all the time and they want to do something off the wall, which is what, where we're getting all these odd modes. They finally get to do something that isn't, I have to make sure it's historically accurate or historically based. Right, they might come back to Civ Seven and be excited to do history stuff again. Not that I had any reason to think that they are burnt out or anything like that, but you no. know, it's it's possible. You work on a project for you know how long has this game been out? Four years, and it was probably in development for at least two before that. So you work on a game for six years, you get burnt out. It happens. Are they keeping the same team the whole way through? Yeah, that's another thing I don't know about. 
I mean, I'm sure there's like at least some people coming and going just because of life. Like, you know, even if everything is perfect there, it's just some people are going to have to move on for whatever reason. Right. Anything else in this thread that's worth talking about? Uh, someone did point out that, they, yeah, but someone's pointing out that the average players on Steam has dropped off more slowly with New Frontiers Pass than it did with an expansion. Like you'd have a spike and then it would drop, not quickly, but within a certain amount of time it would drop off. But you know, New Frontiers is staying it's more. It's still dropping, but it's more. It's a slower, steadier drop. So they're retaining more people by giving a little bit at a time than giving everything at once. Interest, at least. That's what, yeah. Retaining interest. Here is actually one interesting one from uh, A Clue Without. Uh, it's post number 16. Uh, it says, uh, the game feels like it was designed to have more end game mechanics around ideology, ideological pressure, you know, i.e. tourism and loyalty, late game governments, governors, etc. But Firaxis seems to have decided not to introduce that sort of stuff in favor of more limited game modes. And, uh, yeah, I think that's, uh, you know, a fair assessment as well. I, I have also said that I think there are other places where some of the uh, core Civ Six game mechanics could have been fleshed out a little bit more before going in and adding, you know, optional modular content and additional expansions. I just don't know that that's a solvable problem in the context of the way Civ Six is designed right now. Uh, just for the same thing that we've mentioned in the past where the game ends effectively, or the game is over in terms of who a winner is going to be uh, before those mechanics come into play. And if you take that away, you get a rather heavy-handed rubber banding effect, which trivializes the first part of the game instead. And, and there's not an easy way around that problem, the way Civ Six is set up right now. Right, and that's a problem that's you know been endemic to most, if not all, 4X strategy games, because the whole... The whole paradigm on which that genre is based is on perpetual growth. Yeah, I've only seen a handful of games ever do that right. Master of Orion, Warlords, uh, but most of them don't. But I could then see why they ha- they don't feel as inclined to uh, build up ideologies when the vast majority of their player base rarely interacts with it or interacts with it only when the game is over. Yeah, with Forex, there's a certain point when your snowball is just so big that it's a meteor. You're going to win, but you're just. But then you have to. It, it's not just Civ. You have to sit there and go through the motions for another fifty turns or something. Yeah. Well, maybe they're yeah, going to add a game mode. Maybe they'll add a game mode at some point that actually encourages, uh, you know, later era starts, and that gives them an opportunity to uh, fine tune some of the late game stuff. That's true. Dan's favorite late era starts. <laughs> But I mean, that would be probably the most realistic way to attain it in the context of Civ Six would be to just start people in that era, because then you don't have to worry about there being a runaway before you even get there. You actually have the game being decided by choices made in the era in question. Yeah, the game not being decided by something I did back in the classical. Yeah. Assuming that we treated topics, uh, which yes, of us is covering first? Well, because yeah, the order is uh, different between the two spots. 
It was it. Oh dear. Well, Just start with uh, the no city, I guess, because it was the first one posted. I think we should skip the the second one or the the pass the pacifist dominant because neither of us watched the video. Okay. Well, in that case, we had a we were planning a pair of spiffing Brit videos, but we'll only get to one today, and that would be the uh, no city challenge. This is a uh, a very interesting uh, way to play the game. You picked Maori, if I recall correctly. Mm-hmm. I was more fascinated by uh, the uh, the tactics used rather than the sif choice, but that just let him meet everyone earlier and, and get some resources because you really don't have very much income of anything when you don't settle your first city. Uh, so of course the diplo uh, the diplo victory was the only victory available to him. And uh, we got to see a fairly useful set of tricks for gaining the AI to give you money. <laughs> uh, selling resources or especially selling diplomatic favor in a diplomatic victory attempt. And then using that for uh, helping out with disaster relief. But you also got a bit of a class in uh, how the AI tends to vote. And that's something that's worth looking yeah. up when you're pursuing diplo victory. Because uh, you can you can get a lot of points just from correctly guessing, or maybe not guessing if you know the AI's tendencies, uh, what gets actually passed in World Congress. And I, I was also particularly amused when the, you know when the AI all votes to reduce your diplomatic victory points when so that he also voted for that, so he only loses one point in effect rather than two. That's a nice Yeah, touch. he had a net gain in that vote because of that. It's like, what? Th- that is a trick that would have saved some of my games that I played in the past, because I've had, like, two or three games in the past where I got to the point where I was, like, three votes away from winning, you know, two, three, four votes away from winning, and the AIs just stockpiled all their diplomatic favor and kept voting to lower my... Uh, my diplomatic victory points, and I didn't think to just vote along with them to mitigate my loss and get half of my diplomatic favor back, which, like, in hindsight, is, you know, a facepalm, like, duh, kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, that was me watching this video as many times as, oh, why didn't I think of doing it? As much as they always come to you for diplomatic favor, hey, when it's, you could sell it for a lot more than they're asking for if they've got a stack of cash. And then you turn yeah. around with the aid request, and here's all the money for your aid. Oh, you poor thing, and then you win this. And, and you get the diplomatic diplomatic. favor back. I know. Uh, it's also really good if you're actually like losing diplomatic favor. So if you do conquer a, a capital or two early in the game, uh, and now they have that minus five uh, diplomatic favor per turn penalty for each capital you've captured throughout the game, which uh, I have my own issues with, but that's a slightly different topic. Uh, yeah, you can use those... Um, use that tactic basically complete emergencies to get you know the hundred diplomatic favor or whatever then sell it all to the ais for you know a bunch of money yep no diplomation in civ six sadly yeah and uh that your first vote in all the world congress votes is always free so you can always still gain diplomatic victory points just by spending that first free vote to vote on whatever you you know, think or know the AI is actually going to pass and you get one diplomatic victory point for doing that. And if you get that right on every single vote, you know, not all of the other AIs are all doing the exact same votes as each other. So if you're right, you still can end up with uh, a net more uh, diplomatic victory points than the AIs are getting who are actually winning those votes. Yeah. Yeah, then coupled with disaster, Ellie, if I can push you to the top 
And if I remember correctly, this uh, Spiffing Brit video did not have any of the optional game modes, didn't use any mods or anything. This was all, you know, base game, uh, obviously Gathering Storm uh, expansion, but still, you know, the regular game. Uh, it was definitely used in Apocalypse mode. Did yeah. you have Apocalypse mode on? Okay. Yeah. yeah, he had that on to have more disasters happen, so there'd be more aid requests, but that's it. And there was also some uh, some mods that were non-gameplay ch- Oh, UI mods, I think. Yeah, UI mods. Right, but other than that, like, we've uh, we've talked about some of Spiffing Brit's videos in the past that actually dealt with, like, exploits and bugs, like duplicating districts and duplicating units and stuff like that. Uh, and what was interesting about this one, what what made it catch my attention, is that he didn't he doesn't use any exploits this time around. This is just gaming the actual game mechanics, like in a way as they're intended to be played. Obviously, not the way the designers thought players would play them, but you know, with everything working as intended. Yeah, it reminds me of his video with Prison Architect, where he just turns the place into a lumberyard, basically, and never actually makes a prison. <laughs> Forced labor camp. Lumber for money. <laughs> we all know Skyrim's enchanting alchemy systems are broken without you having to put any mods on them. Yeah, for sure. Not as bad as Oblivion's magic creation, though. <laughs> oh, yeah. You, you know, touch rains for, like, a, a really, really short duration, and you just blow stuff up for, you like, insta-charm somebody to the max and then talk to them in that brief window where it's in effect. Right, because time freezes once you, you know, open your inventory or start dialogue or whatever. <laughs> yeah, I was pretty busted. That was exploitable in the Fallout games, too, with the uh, Bethesda's Fallout games, with, like, the skill books and magazines or whatever that give you that temp buff, but then you just start a dialogue, and you have it for as long as the dialogue's open. Yep. Drugged up on whiskey and mentats. But suddenly I'm the most charming person in New Vegas. Exactly. At least for the next five seconds. <laughs> for the next five seconds with this conversation with Lanius <laughs> at the end of the game. Oops. So yes, the, the Spiffing Brit video of No City Challenge is actually helpful in terms of teaching a little bit about how the diplomatic victory uh, works. Uh, I, I don't know if it's necessarily on par with, uh, I think it was Potato McWhiskey's video about tourism that we covered a few months ago that was like taught me a lot about how tourism works. Uh, but yeah, pretty informative. Uh, if you're curious to know how the heck the diplomatic victory works and how you can take advantage of it. And then of course, on top of that, there's just the entertainment factor of seeing someone win a game of civilization without ever settling a city. And when we say not settling a city, I mean, no cities at all. Not even that first capital city. He just camps his settler and his starting warrior on an Island out in the middle of nowhere and hits enter uh, next turn for the whole game. Winning Civ by being uncivilized. <laughs> right. Yes. <laughs> the barbarians win. But who was really the barbarians all along? We were the barbarians. Yes, thank you for tuning in to this episode of The Twilight Zone. <laughs> now this would be the part where if we could use copyrighted music. <laughs> uh, does it count if we hum it? <laughs> yes. Oh, never mind then. Depends on how good know. YouTube's it's algorithms are. Transformative, depending on just how ineffectively we hum it. <laughs> if you can barely recognize it, does it still count? 
Oh, like, if you make it completely unrecognizable, then <laughs> you're golden. Although it kind of ruins the point. Well, thank you for tuning in to Polycast episode number 367. I am one of your regular co-hosts, Mega Bears fan, along with Canis Albinus. 367? Oh my god. Makalua? We're only two away from 369! No. <laughs> and the me and team. Always doing my best to help others attempt the No City Challenge. <laughs> and all your cities are belong to me. Everybody who plays the game against Phil wins the No City Challenge. Eventually. Ideally. Require complete kills. Ugh. <laughs> Nobody wants to sit through that. Oh, some of the old game modes in Civ, like Regicide. <laughs> that was in Civ, wasn't it? That was, remember. uh, that's Age of Empires. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I remember in Age of Empires. I think there was maybe a version mode for Civ at one point, but that was very weird and it made a king unit and it was not very Civ. I think it was Civ 3, yeah. Sounds like a Civ 3 thing. Civ 3 had some interesting game. Resources disappearing was the best. Ugh. Civilization 3, 4, 5, Beyond Earth, and 6, Sound Copyright, Take to Interact. Copyright the Polycast, polycast.net. Especially Civ 3. No. <laughs>